Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Well, hello, and welcome to Basic Folk. This is a podcast where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I'm your host, Cindy Howes. Delightful to have you here. I hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving. We are into the holiday season. And special announcement. If you're listening to this in the Boston area and it's not past December 9th, we are hosting another Basic Folk Live at Club Passim. This is part of the Passim Monday Night Discovery series that is put on by Nine Athens Music. Uh, and we'll be hosting Dinty Child, who's an incredible singer-songwriter who plays in groups like Session Americana. And that's exactly what you get. You get some really fun Americana tunes from Dinty. And then Rachel Lynn will be performing as well. Rachel's an artist I met in Pittsburgh, was completely blown away. She actually lives in Denver now, but she has kind of like a, I don't know, Rachel Lynn is like a mood. It's like dark colors, gauzy really haunting great stuff uh, and that's coming up monday december 9th at club passim you can find information on my social media or you can go to passim's website passim.org also another thing that's happening is that my mom has been working on some new basic folk beanies like some new exciting colors we'll be debuting those hats for sale um, at club passim on monday night and if you're not able to attend we will have them up for sale on the website cindyhouse.net. You can also sign up for uh, my email list and all that stuff. Okay, today on the podcast, we're going to talk to Molly Venter, who is in Red Molly, as well as Goodnight Moonshine. So Molly has a style that's reminiscent of the clearest folk singers from the 60s, combined with like a really kind of fun, classic 50s rock vibe. It makes sense when you listen to her. On top of all this, she's an incredibly delightful person. I know it's the second time I've used delightful, but it's a great word. Molly's story begins in New Haven, Connecticut, where she was raised by her two parents, whose pastime included sailing and performing music. Molly actually learned how to play guitar while on a sailboat. After college, she moved around quite a bit to Idaho, Mexico, and finally Austin, Texas, where she lived for quite a while before eventually coming back to New Haven. We talk about her connection with her hometown, joining up with Red Molly and her partnership with her husband, Eben, who is also in her band, Goodnight Moonshine. I think my favorite part of the conversation is when we talked about her dad, Josiah Venter, who sadly passed away in 2011. Of course, my favorite part is when we both are like nearly in tears. Um, from, from what I read about him, Josiah was a special person with a very meaningful presence for Molly. 
I'm grateful to have been able to talk with Molly for the podcast. I'd actually only known her for a short time, but she's so easy to talk to and so open. It feels like I've known her for quite a long time. Hope you enjoy it. Let's listen to a clip of a song from Goodnight Moonshine, her band with her husband, Eben. This is a song called Bowie, and then we'll get to our conversation with Molly Venter on Basic Folk. David Bowie died this week, reminding me that we died. My friend's brother died a week before, making everybody question what any of it's here for in my own father passed last year you know how this goes when we take our final breath nobody ever knows molly venter Hi, Cindy. Hi, thank you so much for talking to me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, I will say that we are recording at the Charles River Museum of Industry and Innovation. Um, I wanted to mention that at the beginning of the interview. This is the second interview I've done here. Um, This is a wonderful place if you have not been uh, to explore, and also all of the people that work here are lovely. And Molly and her husband, Eben, are performing here tonight. So we are happy to be here. And let's get into it. Okay. Are you ready? I just got nervous, yeah. Oh, yeah, because, like, it's really happening. It's happening. Um, I'd like you to start. Here's a very heavy question to start things off with. But okay. it, might, it might be easy because it's just telling me the truth of what happened to you. Yeah. Um, I'd like you to start by talking about each of your parents, um, how they inspired you as a child, and how you see that inspiration carrying on into your adult life. Because they seem like pretty they were pretty awesome parents wow they were I don't where are you getting all this good information um (laughs) they okay so my parents are really super different and my father uh passed away six years ago and my mom's still around so sometimes I get confused with the tense to use around my dad like Mm -hmm. I still want to use the present tense but it'll go back and forth Mm -hmm. um so my mom is the most outgoing human that I've ever met, and we couldn't go to the grocery store without her being like, oh, Debbie, and talking. And oh, she's Debbie. also speaks De- Debbie. Ugh, darn it, Debbie. Um, she also speaks three languages. She Which thinks ones? She speaks French and Spanish and English, and she thinks she also speaks, like, German and, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit, <laughs> little bit of Japanese. Um, and so she was a French teacher and a Spanish teacher, and she also coached field hockey and tennis. So just like an active more energy than the Tasmanian devil type of person maybe wouldn't sit down and like watch a movie ever but definitely like moving a lot constantly inspired she would I remember her taking me to some museum in France when we visited there together and she's like Molly did you know that the Christian symbol for something or other is like the star and I I I just remember being really annoyed at the time like this is just another teaching moment um but I do think that I inherited some of her like I get excited about different things than she gets excited about but I get excited and I've been told that I get kind of dramatic when Mm. I get excited and I think (laughs) I think I get that from her and um and the ear she also played guitar and sang she Um, taught me and my brother to play the guitar and to sing harmony early on, like on our sailboat. 
And so, yeah, she's a super neat lady. And my dad, more of the intellectual type, like just a crazy amount of intellectual curiosity. He was also a a, more of a prankster mm-hmm. um, and so like to like short sheet beds and just do weird <laughs> like old fashioned pranks like to my mom's brother when he got married there was like a spotlight involved and fish and so he yeah he was um he was a character like that and just a real deep thinker very sensitive introverted thoughtful caring and so he, he and I would have the real long heart to heart conversations and I just remember things that he told me maybe in my 20s when I was living in Austin and feeling like I was adrift and like I wasn't doing anything or achieving anything. And he said, he used to call me Critter. He'd be like, Critter, if you use this time to figure out who you are, like there is nothing better you could have done with this 10 years of your life, you know, and and gave me a pretty wide berth in terms of what I would do uh, with my life. I don't, neither one of them were particularly psyched about the musical choice at first, mm. but they came around. It seems like your dad was pretty non-judgmental. He was, um, but he was also practical in terms of well, what kind of a lifestyle is that? And coming from mm. the how six, are you going to do your taxes, he, critter? Yeah, totally, totally. And so he he wouldn't have been someone to go to Woodstock, you know. So he'd been like, oh, that scene that you're getting into is very. Maybe it's kind of full of drugs and that type of and, – and not, you know, a paycheck. Um, it wasn't until, actually, I joined Red Molly that I think they both felt like, oh, these are two lovely women that she is now singing with. And there's no danger of her, you know, just falling into the gutter. Interesting. Did you <laughs> – Yeah. Did you give them the impression that you might do that? No. I mean – I didn't give them the impression. No, I was always in folk music, so there wasn't even that scene mm. to go in. I was playing church basements. Interesting. Well, I had a, like a later question about Red Molly, but maybe it kind of applies now. Mm-hmm. In Red Molly, this is like going so much fast forward in this interview than I wanted to. But anyways, sometimes this happens. Yeah. In Red Molly, both of your band members said that like you had like a specific vibe, and it was like gritty and. Mm. Raw, and visceral, and raw, right? And, and like that goes along. That goes along with the image of maybe what your parents were imagining this music career, were were was to bring you, right? I mean, and they knew that I was sensitive and a pretty intense personality. Like I was very all or nothing, even in high school. So I mean, along the lines of, did I give them anything to worry about? Yeah, I was definitely like, yeah, work hard play hard and maybe to get in trouble with certain substances at certain times of my life. Um, it was yeah. just that one time. It was Mom. just that one time of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would love to hear about learning to sing and play guitar on a sailboat. You kind of just breezed, right? Sure. Well, so my, my dad's love was sailing and my mom had a stomach of freaking steel. Still does. She could just be down in the bottom of this little sailboat, 28 and a half foot, and just be like cooking. And uh, the I, I get seasick, but she never did. And so she would bring her guitar. We would just go out for... Um, I guess two weeks, that was my dad's vacation, that we would go for two weeks on a sailboat, sail around. And uh, my brother and I and my mom were so physically active that it wasn't always so easy to be on a sailboat. We would just be desperate for, like, when can we get off and run around and when can we get on the beach? Mm. So it wasn't always so smooth, but there were... Would you dock and go to beaches? 
We would, but there would be, you know, just like a long day. There could be a 10-hour sail to get somewhere, mm-hmm. and that made me a little stir-crazy. And um, also, we didn't necessarily take to the like the learning of navigational things the way I think he might have hoped. So, Do you know the lingo? I mean, if you said something, I could probably recognize uh, star it. Oh, port. starboard and port. Oh, and sure, then sure. And what's the, th- the thing? We're, we're, we're tapping. We're, t- uh, we're tacking. Oh, tacking. Oh, yes. yeah. No, actually, and it all comes back. It's like riding a bike or a, yeah. a language. <laughs> I still like I like sailing around in little boats. But anyway, so we would go on that, and we would – but much more time was spent actually working on the boat. For anyone who's ever had a boat, it's just like – It's work. Squir- yeah. <laughs> and even when we were on that sailboat, they would have us get into the water, my brother and I, with goggles and scrub pads and be under the hull of the sailboat, like scrubbing it. That's not vacation. No. So, and then the tea, you know, the wood is always needing to be sanded down and shellacked. And so, but, (laughs) but there were a lot of lovely moments like cooking out, you know, outside. And my favorite was probably the end of the night when you would, you would anchor or more and, um, and the wind would be coming. And I remember sitting a lot on the, oh boy, the boom, um, and just kind of like listening to the wind or listening to music. And my mom would always bring her guitar and she was like, okay, kids, I'm going to play these old folk songs. And harmony is when you sing a note that's not the note I'm singing, but it's close. And so we just would learn to sing. We still remember like creepy songs she would teach us too. So that's where I first like got inappropriate into. for children. Not like inappropriate, but just like so droning, like... Now the day is over. And I'm doing this shake because there was like this shake involved. Anyway, um, <laughs> just dark and twisted. Hi, <laughs> Mom. Um, oh, dark and twisted. Um, <laughs> no, just like unaware of what the words were probably. Mm. So, yeah, but we we learned. That was some of our first learning. So to me, you seem like a very unique adult. And I think. Whoa. Like, I know, like we, I, but you, you definitely. Um, you give off the vibe of yourself like immediately to somebody when you connect with them. And I think whenever that's the case, it's also probably true that the unique or not typical experience of your youth had a specific effect on you. Like in my case, I was like in 4-H as a kid and raised sheep and rabbits. Whoa. So I don't know if that particular thinking resonates with you at all. And I'm wondering if music and or sailing fits into that narrative or if it might be something else. And so just say a little bit more that that some kind of experience in your childhood helped you kind of understand who you were earlier mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was still, I do have a lot of memories of climbing trees in the park across our street, and I have even more memories of sitting on a swing and singing at the top of my lungs, <laughs> um, <laughs> Mostly from cats, because my my parents introduced us. <laughs> I almost did a spit take. Yeah, yeah, mostly like memory, and then like Les Mis, just like real intense, dramatic um, Broadway shows at the Moon, and so I do have a, and then playing with dolls. Like I have a lot of solo memories now that I think about it, where uh, my parents worked a lot and they were busy and. Yeah, just have a lot of memories of being with myself and not necessarily like lonely, but like pretty quiet, pretty in my own experience and mm-hmm. finding some kind of like real um, coziness or a real like depth in just like 
being in a tree or something mm-hmm. like that. So I never thought about that before. That was a great question, mm. obviously. I'm interested um, to go a little deeper into that because, like, when I when I do these interviews and I hear about all of these, like, wonderful creative things that people did by themselves and, and interesting ways to spend their time alone, I just think of, like, all of the time that I was watching TV. Oh, yeah. So wh- what was your relationship to TV? <gasps> That's interesting. I strongly re- – my parents were pretty strict, and I remember on the aft- – one afternoon, my brother and I were watching Charles in Charge, and my dad comes in. And he sees us on the couch at like 4.30. He's home early from work and he sees us watching Charles in Charge and he's like, that's it. No TV on school nights ever again. You'll have one hour on the weekend and like, that's it. And I thought it was just going to be one of those things, like one of those rules that he didn't really follow up on. But it was intense to the point where my senior year, I had to negotiate with them. I was like, okay, I don't need to watch an hour on the weekend. I just want to watch it for my so-called life. Like, I need to watch my so-called life, and it's on a Tuesday night or whatever night it was. Oh, my God, cosign. Like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) And they let me, you know, but that just goes to show that I wasn't really watching. I have some memories before that of secretly watching MTV music videos, which I loved, but they they were not into that. Um, But so formative. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Like, Wilson Phillips and Janet Jackson, like, whatever was on at the early 90s. So there was not a lot of TV, and my dad would come back to me years later saying, remember when I made that rule and you said, Dad, it's not like I'm going to do my homework more. Like, I'm going to play guitar or something. And he said, great. Um, And so he... I guess he won that round. That was right. a good choice. Was like, you thought you were being defiant. And <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah. look at you, professional musician. Yeah. So That's funny. I guess that was a good thing. You now live in your hometown of New Haven, Connecticut, which is a lovely town. Thank you for saying uh, that. Yeah. Um, what is your relationship like with your hometown and how has it evolved for you over the years? Well, when I lived there, I have to admit that we were just getting carted around to like sports practices and school, and I didn't have a relationship with the city, really. My mom was an educator, right? So we went to the private school that she taught from pre-kindergarten through 12th grade, and I just, I mean, we did city soccer, but I didn't, I don't know, I didn't have that much of a connection. And then I moved away, and I thought, I will never live in Connecticut again. First, I moved to Idaho. and bye. then I, And then, yeah, bye. <laughs> Why, did you say? Or No, I said bye. bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. First, Idaho, and then Austin, Texas, and then I spent a year in central Mexico, and then back to Texas, and I was just like, why would I ever live in the Northeast? Like, this is just such a freeing experience to live in places where people aren't only concerned with what their job is. They're more is lifestyle. Like, out West is more like lifestyle people who may or may not love their job, but they love where they live and they love what they do after work. Mm -hmm. So I just really liked that. It freed me from like 100% it took away, well, my type A personality because I'm the oldest child. So Mm -hmm. I think up until then I was pretty intense about whatever I do, I need to be the absolute best at. Like in college, I played three sports in college. I tried, you know, just a little bit type A. And then it all went away maybe to the point of like, mm. I'll just do nothing. Like, have you ever heard of like your parasympathetic nerve and your sympathetic nerve? I mean, not enough to know what they do. So, like, one of them is like very type A, and the other is like completely the opposite, and you need like a total balance. I want to say your parasympathetic nerve is the one that's like 
I don't care, man. Whatever you want. Yes, yes. I need to keep detailed notes of everything you say. Yes, I went hardcore into I don't care, man. Um, (laughs) Especially moving to Austin, I was like, and I got involved in like an ecstatic dance community, and we were just constantly like doing retreats with like acro yoga and. So okay, ecstatic dance. Explain quickly what that is. Oh, um, so it's a type of dance. Some call it five rhythms, um, but you're gonna. You're just going to get into a room with a bunch of people and dance and there's no talking and it's not a druggy scene. At least it wasn't in Austin. Um, It was more like church Mm. in the morning, like for two hours. But people were having serious experiences. You know, I just like watched like men like yelling and like pounding on the ground and then other people would be rolling around doing contact improv dancing and which is kind of where you're always in contact, but you're nobody is leading. Everybody is leading. Um, And then and then I would just. I would just kind of freak out, like, and it's it was this place to go and just um, sounds cliche, but just let my body work out any of the uh, stresses of the lifetime, and it, I feel so nervous right now. Really, <laughs> you want to do some? Yeah, do you want to okay. just do some contact improv would, after this? Yes, of course. Um, is that what the show is tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna have the we're gonna have some audience members do it. Great. Yeah, I got so into that, and I remember it was called Body Choir at the time, and I just remember all my friends from the Northeast Body being like, oh, my gosh, like, what are you getting into now? But, man, it is still where I have some of my best friends, and every time I go back to Austin, which is as often as I can, I go to dance, and I cry, and and, and I, like, love life more. So that's I th- – and I think that's where I learned how to – I'm still learning how to perform, right? How to show up as myself when I'm on stage. Mm-hmm. Because it does feel relatively easy for me to show up with people because I get so interested in the person I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. One-on-one. Like, I'm still actually introverted. But one-on-one, I get just so interested in the person I'm talking to that I think I am fairly open. But once you put me on a stage, I'm not, like, getting... I'm not seeing the audience in that way so then it just feels like, well, what am I supposed to be showing up with? I don't even, hmm. you know, so it's actually this process of like, well, who am I? How do I feel today? Like, uh, and it's a, I'm a work in progress in, in that sense. Hmm. But, but dance definitely helped me to feel freer in my body and to have just like authentic movements on stage and um, not to be so like critical of my yeah. body. It seems like it, it kind of sheds the layers of crap yeah, it but, sheds a lot of layers of yeah. crap. Even just shake, even just shaking. I've got like a thing in the morning where I'm just like, just like shaking for ten minutes and maybe trying to breathe a lot. And like that's the only meditation I can do. I can't really sit still, but I can like put on some intense music and like do a little shake and be like, okay, here I am. I'm alive. I like, love that. Yeah, I'm gonna shake. There's so many different ways to like quote meditate. Anyway. Can you tell me about your experience coming to write your own music? Like, what was the catalyst for you to put your own words to music? Desperation. Again, I don't know why I felt so sensitive as a kid, but I was writing my own songs in fifth grade. And terrible songs, obviously. (laughs) And even through high school, just embarrassing, embarrassing songs. And through my first album. what a sweetheart. I guess. Yeah. (laughs) That's how I would... It's literally how I would dig up emotion and like let it let mm-hmm. it out. Sorry. So in that way I can be a little self-conscious that especially the a lot of the earlier stuff is so is like confessional. 
I remember singing for a DJ in Austin. He was like, well, Molly, I see you're still writing very personal songs. And I was like, mm. where, where? Well, yeah, I mean, you got to, it's, it's, it feels so good, right? Yeah, and it's also like, yeah, my 20s, man, I was just freaking out and figuring things out. So that's how, that's how I did it. And I listened to artists like Tracy Chapman and Patty Griffin and especially Ani DeFranco. I think I listened to her the most and she is probably the most confessional and just stream oh, of consciousness. Sure. And that's, that's probably what I latched onto at first. But then with the Indigo Girls and Dar Williams, I mean, I I latched on always to like the emotional potency of singers. And then it's and somebody told me this early on. Mary Gaucher actually was a was a songwriting coach of mine at a camp, and she said, "This sounds I, I feel silly saying this, but anyway, she said, Molly, you sing really well, like really well, and so." That can get you into trouble because you don't you won't focus as much on your songwriting because people will still be like, yay, great, be, you know, because yeah, your voice yeah. carries it. Yeah, and it's only been it's like skirting by on your looks. Totally, totally. <laughs> so it's only. Um, I mean, I think that the songs came from an authentic place, but in terms of crafting them into pieces of music that I still want to sing, that's just happened in my thirties, and mm. um, and that's that feels fantastic it feels mm -hmm. like tapping into something that's like older and it still comes from an emotional place basically but it's not always a story about me but it's something that moved me mm. and I, I love that I feel like when I was younger in high school and I said this to my friend one time actually I'm seeing her this weekend so I'll see if I can uh, I'll see if she remembers me saying this in high school I was like don't you feel like you just like know things that like other people like don't know and she's like yeah Wow. Like, and what but, were you thinking of? Just like, I feel like, like what I feel now as an adult, like when you're, when you're saying like tapping into something like uh, higher, tapping into something that's like wiser, mm -hmm. um, like you feel like this wisdom is like at the tip of your tongue, but you're just like, I don't know what to yeah. do. And, and, and writing music for you, it sounds like helped you. And it, and it, obviously it's a journey, but it took you to that took you to that place. Yes. I mean, the experience of, like, writing for me has always been where I get the biggest juice or, like, I get the biggest kick. I do love singing and performing, but when I'm writing something is where I feel, like, connected to everything, you mm. know? And and it doesn't – I really can't think of if it ever gets any better for me, like, life, than, mm. than when I'm writing. But even if it's not very good, I can go back to that same song and think – well, that was a moment, but it doesn't take away from the fact that as I was writing it, it was just like the tendrils were out and things were connecting. Yeah. And um, and then, yeah, if I'm brave enough to go back with a little pickaxe later, sometimes I can make make those into gems. I mean, sometimes they come out pretty nice on their own, but sometimes they take some finessing. The pickaxe. Yeah. I love it's that. like, that needs to go. All right, I want to talk about being a varsity athlete. Oh, boy. I did mention it. Yes, you did. I and did. It, also, it's on the internet. Oh, right. I'm interested in, like, so I am so not, like, when I was a kid, I was so not a sports person. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, all I have to do is balance music and drama mm. and theater. Yeah. And, and all good to go and choir. and uh, Yeah. But, but it seems like too, to me, it seems like, Two totally different worlds. Yes, like, uh, like the f the competitive sports versus that world. Right, and even like the social yes. aspects. Oh yes, um, and if there's any if there's any overlap 
and in those two worlds. I don't know what it is. I mean, in high school, it's easier to overlap uh, in terms socially. Like, you can be on your sports team and love those people, and then you can also be, like, friends with the drama club or, you know. Um, in college, I did feel like I, I love the friends I made in college, and they are only from my sports teams, 100%. Mm-hmm. There's no friend outside of my sports teams from college. So that is kind of a bummer and, and limiting once you get – once they make you specialize, you know, once the world is like you do this or this, then you was have to make soccer? choices. No, mine was field hockey, ice hockey, and lacrosse. So I have been varsity teams for all of those. A captain for all of those, I Cindy. Can, I cannot believe um, I'm sitting in the room with oh the captain God. of all the teams. Oh, God. But you know what I remember? I remember that I didn't get the purple key at Williams and it Shit. chapped me. But I was the, okay, just me gloating, but I was the class musician and I got to sing a song. So anyway, it was a, it was a weird thing, I guess, to oh, wow. bridge. That's Molly. But, she's oh, the oh, captain, boy. but she's sings. Oh, God, but I sing. Um, <sighs> I... Like being phys- I like being physical, and I like getting to do things with my body. And I was never super um, – I wouldn't say that I'm coordinated, like especially coordinated, but I always had a lot of, like, hustle and spunk and, um, yeah, mostly just hustle. So, <laughs> I, <laughs> so I, I loved it. And then by the time I got to college, I mean, I, I say that it, in a way maybe it was a little limiting, but in another way – what I was picking up on in college was the interpersonal world of like coaches and players and being like, oh, damn, this coach is young and she does not know what she's doing. Like, mm. And then that coach is much more confident and there is no weird personal stuff coming up. That coach's relationship to us is clean versus mm-hmm. other people's relationships, which I was like, okay, something's going – you know, this is not oh, quite interesting clean. sociology so, experiment. So, yeah, so I was just – fascinated by like how to do it well and then how to I don't know motivate people and how to make people feel like they were part of a team and how to uh yeah how to make it like a more loving experience and and a more exciting experience and I said after college for a while that the thing I missed most was like just being on a bus after a game like I missed being with my team I missed losing I missed like us crying after a loss I just missed us mm. as a pack being the together community yeah so that's what I got most out of it and of course as a kid I think it was great as a girl because it somewhat shielded me from one type of body image issues I think I still like because it was all about being fast and it was about being strong versus looking like a model now it that still got taken to the extreme like you need to look like a gymnast you need to be like so perfectly like machine like mm-hmm. but, but also tiny right but also tiny but still it was good in terms of like you know I wasn't tempted to not eat you know through college or anything like that so because you needed to eat yeah. in order to fuel. Yeah, it was just like sports. I want to be fast. That's what yeah. I want to be and I want to be strong and I want to so that way it was great and it was great for for a woman like and it was great in terms of early on, you know, my parents saying, "No, you can't just like skip out on practice because you've committed to your team and you can't mm-hmm. do that." So it so um yeah, it gave me a good whatever head about my shoulders for mm-hmm. the we for the group dynamic. As, as like, an athlete, what was your relationship to food? Because it sounds like it was just energy. And then now, as you're not, like, a varsity athlete, how about it now? Oh, my God. It's, like, such a huge journey. Like, when I went to Austin, you know, I got in with people who were macrobiotic. And then I was like, oh, maybe that, you know, this desire to be, like, this 
perfect thing, like to do it perfectly, anything, to parent perfectly, like is just so much pressure. So I do think that I, I was like, oh, let's try this raw foods diet for a while. Oh, let's try this macrobiotic diet for a while. Oh, let's, oh, now everyone's doing paleo. Oh, now everyone's doing keto. Like I have like dabbled around in different ways of eating to try to figure out like what makes me feel the best or like what is, you know, and the truth is like I'm somebody who loves to eat and can sometimes eat emotionally. Like that's just who I am. It's probably who Mm -hmm. I'm always going to be. And so to recognize that like that's okay and like really what I want to do is just notice Like, I notice that if I eat pancakes for breakfast, I have to take a nap. But that's fine (laughs) on a Sunday, you know? And, like, and I I just, you know, now I'm, like, looking at my caffeine intake. Like, it's great, but then it's really not great. Mm. So I'm now I look at it as a thing to, like, enjoy and to notice. Mm. I'm still tempted sometimes to do things with food. Like, maybe I should be intermittent fasting. But, like... At the end of the day, my grandmother is 106, and she drives, and she walks, and she, like, stretches, and she talks and reads. And she just had three rules for health, which was, like, never eat anything artificial, get enough sleep, and do some kind of movement every day. But, like, she wasn't doing CrossFit. She was just, like, walking and swimming. And so the idea that – now, granted, she wasn't exposed to all the toxins we were, so I might not make it to 106. But – don't remind them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just that idea of like be happy. I want to feel good in my body. I want to cut myself some slack when I do, you know, have a bunch of dessert. Like I just want to be like, it's fine. You're good. Mm. Like you're good. Noticing <laughs> is so important. And it sounds like this is maybe one example where you have identified like the perfectionist in you. Yeah. And to try and try to quiet that monster. Yeah. It's it's a lifelong struggle. Right. It's like, how about just trying to be perfect at being nice to yourself? What about oh that? Oh, my God. What if you were just that? Oh, my. All right. Interview over. I'm not doing any, <laughs> Drop any more interviews. This is it. Um, the other question I had about being an athlete was that you say you like to, you'd like to be very physical. And I'm wondering if that translates at all into your performance or the way that you sing. Mm. your experience as an athlete. I am starting to draw on my experience as an athlete to try to become a better rhythm guitar player. Um, I mean, Evan pushes me to be a better guitar player. Evan's What like, they say is rhythm is a dancer. Rhythm is a dancer, right. Oh, yeah. Rhythm is a dancer. That's you. Um, yeah. So I, but just to recognize, oh, I can refine this. I can actually pay closer attention because I can get lost in singing. Um, but I can play closer attention and and keep that dumb chook even if I'm tempted to lose it and just start whacking away with some other weird pattern because What's I'm a not dumb like like the like the bluegrass like dum, 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 oh, like dumb some chuck. for certain beats <laughs> like that's I don't know the way to say it um, yeah so I'm I'm starting to draw on that now and I guess on stage I like. I like standing up. I like moving around a little, although sometimes I need to rein it in to just focus on playing well. Mm. Um, I don't mind lugging things around. So in terms of a lifestyle, like, I like walking around. I don't love being in a car all the time, mm-hmm. like we sometimes are. But um, mostly I think it serves this lifestyle. Let's talk about Red Molly. 
Uh, so you lived in Austin, Texas for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you've been working on your music career and solitary touring life had been like kind of getting you down. Yeah. Um, and you joined Red Molly, is that in 2010? That makes sense. Yep, yeah. 2010. And Abby and Lori of Red Molly reached out and invited you to audition for the group. Correct. I had opened for them. And then I, and then they had invited me on a invited me on a tour to open. So I probably opened for them a half dozen, like six or ten times in different parts of the country. So we knew that we were we could get along, and we knew we could share a hotel room, and um, that's pretty important too. Mm. And and we knew, yeah, we we knew a fair amount of each other musically. Um, and the band had been playing together since two thousand four. So you were replacing, yeah, Carol Ann Solbello, mm-hmm. who was leaving. So what was it like for you to join a band that was like six years into their career already? Um, I mean, if I were to do it now, it would I'd probably do a better job of it. I think at the time wouldn't I was... Wouldn't we all? Yeah, wouldn't we all do everything better? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that I really was like, okay, well, this is already existing thing, and I'm a little different, but I'm just going to try to fit in and... I'm I'm going to wait for people to tell me if they like certain songs, and then I'll bring that. You know, I was just very tentative. Did you do, like, a six-month evaluation? I know. <laughs> no, not even. I mean, I was like, I'm in. This is a, this is a great thing because I was getting a little confused about what to do solo-wise. And, and it was so lovely to have people on the road with me and to have, make a bigger sound. Um, but, yeah, I don't think I knew how to how to, like, bring some of my skills to the band. I felt like I was still just kind of like this weird oddball. And mm-hmm. we didn't know how to come together. Like, well, what are we going to come together around now? Because you have a particular overlap with three three people, but with these three people, the overlap is going to be different, and the music mm-hmm. is going to change. Right. And so that happened slowly over time, but not without maybe some hiccups of like, okay, let's try to take it really far in this direction, and that doesn't feel authentic either. So, Like um, really far in your Yeah, like, direction. oh, let's try to make this album like pretty like grungy and, you know, crunchy or whatever. And, um, and I don't know if that felt, like I said, authentic either. But we've come around in a really special way I would say and Mm -hmm. plus the addition of two new musicians so we're a five piece it's like oh wow we have a sound now that is reflect it like takes the best of all of us Mm. but it took a while yeah for it not to just feel like okay now it's you doing your thing now it's me doing my thing and is the red mollies on hiatus right now we did a two-year quote hiatus and I had a kid in that time and then we tour we still tour we kind of it's like a spring tour and a fall tour and some festivals. Okay. So it's not, you know, 100 shows of the year like maybe it was at one point. Mm-hmm. It's like 30 or 40 shows. Um, but, yeah, we still tour. Cool. Are you talking about another record? We talk about writing songs as a band together. We're like one foot in front of the, the other. So we never wrote together in the past. People would write individually or do mm-hmm. covers. And now we have a few songs that were written by the whole band. And that's really exciting. And it starts to feel like, oh, right. If we come together on the music making part, not just the arranging, then it feel these songs feel reflective of all of us. Mm-hmm. What a novel idea. That's what bands <laughs> do. Who knew? Um, so times have really changed, I think, pretty quickly in the past even, like, six or seven mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. And when I was doing research for Red Molly, a lot of the articles are from, like, 2012 and, yeah. you know, 2008. Yeah. Um, and one article that came up was, like, female-fronted trio Red Molly. 
And that might have been like a 2002 article, which oh, yeah. definitely, I feel like that's over. Right. Uh, but would love to know your feelings in general about that as a way to describe a band with three women, whether it be Red Molly or someone else's. Well, it didn't, it didn't hurt us. I'll say that to be three women fronting a band. Like, uh, I think a lot of people are like, oh, not just vocally, because vocally it is kind of a special thing to have three women singing together. So in one way, it's just an accurate description of what we were, like a female trio and still are female fronted five piece. Um, and in the other way... This is your dad talking right now, right? Where he's like presenting both sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's still useful. It's still something we talk about. Oh, we, even with the five piece, I think we want the three ladies front and center to make it clear that it's still female led. And not just in the way that like, we're three ladies to look at, but like in the way that's like, we run this band. We are bosses. Like, and, and so in, in like a, um, I don't know, in a positive way, too. So I guess the terminology has never bothered me, female trio. Um, and I guess now that I think about it, yeah, you probably wouldn't say that about a man, a men's band. But I don't mind it. I, I still don't mind that. And there, But, of course, there are other things along the way that you deal with as being women that change and you realize, like, oh, I need to speak up to that presenter because that was weird. Or, like, oh, mm -hmm. I need to respond to this person online because that was inappropriate. So that stuff's happened more. How is that for you to, like, speak up? Now I'm, like, getting into it. I think at the <laughs> beginning. <laughs> What's the also, because I think that I'm pretty good at it. Like, I think that I'm not shaming, but I'm, like, getting to be direct. Like, I used mm -hmm. to be very apologetic. I never want to make anyone feel bad. And now I'm like, this is necessary. This is honest. This is even kind. Like, this person should know that they, you know, that that's inappropriate. Right. Like so take, kind of taking emotion out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, oh, that's inappropriate. So I am now kind of more into it, but it's still, yeah, sometimes you st you're still working against your own resistance to like making waves or like bringing something up. I'm just remembering now that I meant to say something to an Uber driver that I had in Austin that was inappropriate. And I was like, I need to just write to that person. I don't even want to give them a bad review. I literally want to text the number and be like, just so you know, this part made me feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So just tell people because they don't always know. They might mm -hmm. think they're like, I can give people the benefit of the doubt. They might think they're flattering or whatever, but it's like, no, inappropriate. Mm. I have, uh, so this relates to another question that I had um, where you, so I have a couple of quotes from you from interviews that are like, Awesome. Uh -oh. <laughs> okay, so you say the outer world is a reflection of our inner conflict. I feel opposing forces towards fear and walled offness and towards love and unity. I don't know which way the world is ultimately heading, but I want to work harder to be part of the healing and the solution. My inflection for that quote was terrible, and I apologize. No, that's a deep cut. I'm blushing. Um, um, so I, I just wonder, like, how do you find yourself in situations where you have, like, built a wall. And if you can talk about your experience with the struggle of, like, wanting to love this world versus protecting yourself. Because if you do reach out to somebody and say, hey, what you're saying is upsetting me, mm -hmm. and they come back with, like, a slash instead of being like, oh, I'm so sorry, I had no idea. How do you see that turmoil inside of you? And 
do you see that like kind of um, that fear of, of trying to say like, oh, do I love now? Yeah. Do I be honest now? Or yeah. do I build the wall? Do you see that as a reflection of inner conflict? Yeah. Well, so the I f- there's lots of different examples like worldly and personal that I could like talk about. But really where this comes to a head for me is just the most personal, like in a marriage, in a parenting situation where I'm like so tempted to want to wall off and dig in and maybe even be mean. Like it's the most, I don't know if everybody's like this, but I can be pretty good in the wider world. Like, and I can, I can talk about things, you know, and, and I don't, I won't get all, I don't know. I'm not quite as entrenched because I'm like, I don't know that person's story. Like they're probably doing their best. Like I do, I'm, I'm not bad at that, but when giving people the benefit of the doubt. Yes. Yes. Like in general, or if, or if they did something like to just voice it, you know, or just, or to say a little something like, okay, well that seemed harsh or something like, Mm -hmm. ouch, but, but it doesn't get so personal, but in, yeah, like uh, this is what I come up against five times a day. Like, are you going to try to be loving or are you going to fight? And (laughs) Are, do you know how to set a boundary without being critical? Do you know, you know, without blaming? Do you know how to, so these are, there's just all these skills that I feel like we didn't learn as kids. And so, so that conflict between wanting to wall off and wanting to be loving for me is the most obvious in terms of my closest relationships. And then when I look at the world, it's more like a philosophical thing. I mean, I let I do let the world break my heart. Like I do fully read articles and cry and then kind of move on. And then I also guard my time and I take the news app off my phone completely because I can't be hearing about XYZ while I'm trying to make dinner. Like I just mm-hmm. can't do it. But I do I am porous and I want to let the world affect me and I certainly want to like vote with my dollar and know how to make the best choices. Um, but at the end of the day, there was a yoga teacher, as Evan's yoga teacher said to him, like, you have to trust that your intention was good. So whenever I get too heady about like, well, I like going to Whole Foods because it's not wrapped in plastic, but like, I don't want to support Jeff Bezos. and like, bah, like, I can't be perfect. It's like, no, of course not. Like just to exist is to do damage and do, Mm -hmm. but maybe I can do a little less harm or maybe I can be more proactive and knowing that I'm not going to get it right. Um, but that I love, I can, yeah, I can fall in love with the world even as it like breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. I can still be open. Um, you're currently, uh, playing in Goodnight moonshine with your husband, Eben, who, um, you've brought up a couple of times, Eben Pariser, 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 Eben Pariser. Um, and I would love it if you would tell the story, like the complete story of how you originally met. Really? Okay. Yeah, I'm here for it. Okay, Red Molly, his, he was in a band called Roosevelt Dime, and I was in Red Molly, and we went to the Folk Alliance Conference, which is a big old music business conference for folk musicians. It exists. And we were, we were in, it was in Memphis that year. It's only in Memphis one year. And we went, and Eben's band... Do you know this story? Or mm-hmm. okay, Evans Band had um, spent a long time in the car coming down to Memphis from Brooklyn, and they had developed this weird game that they were playing called "Try to Hug Me." And "Try to Hug Me" is when you go up to a complete stranger and you're like, "Excuse me, do you want to play this game?" It's called um, "Try to Hug Me." So "Try to Hug Me," and then they would have all these 
tactics of evasion. So maybe they would duck and roll away, or maybe they would cross their arms in front of them, so like creating a physical barrier. Or you can create a psychological barrier where you just like make your face really screwed up and maybe hiss or something. So they were doing this to like cowboys from tech. I mean, they were just doing this to whomever, <laughs> and it was not. Wait, you know, would they would they state the rules of the game? No, they or? just said, "Try to hug me." I'm. You're gonna try to hug me, and I'm gonna. And I'm not. Gonna I'm let not you. gonna let you hug me. You know. Okay, but they don't. Yeah. Okay. So they that's don't it. announce their tactic. No. No. No, no. They just said, try to hug me. I don't even know if they said, I'm not going to let you hug me. They'd be like, well, this is a game. Well, let's go get Evan. Yeah, we're going to get him. <laughs> and, um, and so I was watching him do this, and I was like, oh, like the varsity athlete comes out. I was like, oh, you better believe I'm getting that hug. Like, <laughs> are you kidding? I'm getting that hug. So he says, try to hug me. And I just put my head down, and I go out with both arms, and I'm just like, going in like head first but his tactic in that moment was to drop his head so that he's looking directly at the floor so that his top of his head is pointed outward so we did a real real hard headbutt like a coconuts yeah like two coconuts and in his head he thinks oh this is the end of focal alliance like oh i'm going to the hospital now <laughs> and i this is over for me like that is 100 percent what he believed <laughs> and then he looks up and i'm just like it's okay it's okay. Like in my physically, I'm a very tough cookie, like physical kind of way. And that's where he says in that moment, like, oh, that's when I fell in love with her. Um, and what he would later found out was that physically, I am pretty tough. Emotionally, very <laughs> soft. Um, but yeah, that's how we met. And then our bands, Red Molly and Roosevelt Time, started a little songwriting group back in Brooklyn. And we, we just started hanging out and liking each other. And then we got married. Fast Great forward. Story. It's so good. <laughs> How was that for Eben to come to understand um, the emotional softness? Oh, he remembers that my dad saying to him, stick with Molly. It's not an easy thing. And he and at the time he was like, <laughs> what? Like he was so submitted to me. And my dad is my was my biggest fan, is my biggest fan. And um and so so it's just so funny that he said that. And I suppose it's true. Like I, we all have some quirks. I have some quirks. And so he, um, Eben knows me a lot more now, and I'm more, I'm more complicated than he thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you describe what it's like to play with your spouse versus playing with other people? So I wonder if you would say it would be the same kind of connection you have in general with people, um, people in general that you're like, you're going to have different ways of communicating and even like, talking in conversation with your partner than you do with other people, does that translate into the performance? Yeah, 100%. And I think because I am generally someone who's concerned with other people's feelings, like maybe too, maybe too much, um, that... But when you have a spouse, sometimes you're, like, not concerned enough with their feelings, so maybe you're <laughs> too direct. So I think early on, we thought it was so hard to play music together, and we I remember being... Uh, at the Bugle Boy in LaGrange, Texas, and walking outside being like, if I ever play another show with you, like just after soundcheck. We just <laughs> couldn't even get through soundcheck. Um, and then now it's still, we have very different skills musically. And so really one of us kind of takes charge in these different areas. And that still, sometimes we get, uh, it, sometimes it's real hard and sticky for each of us. And, but... At the end of the day, we say it. We don't hold back. And I do hold back with most everybody else. So for him, so as if I can learn how to say it well, and if he 
he already knows how to say it well. I'm just reactive. But as we can say everything to each other musically, and it eventually leads to better playing. I mean, it leads to like lots more fights along the way, but it leads to much better music. So now we're just like becoming this new, incredible, like, you know, force between the two of us. And it's because we can say everything. I So listening to that answer, it makes me feel like that's where the album title came from. The, um, oh, yeah. The album that you put out last year. I'm the only one who will tell you you're bad. I know. <laughs> I have Wait, since, who's, who's saying that? Is I, said that to him, I said that to him about his hair. You know, <laughs> I was like, you really got to. He was like, maybe some more lipstick for this video shoot. I was like, yeah, maybe some more hair product. And he's like, I can always count on you, babe. I'm like, yeah. I'm the only one who'll tell you you're bad. And then we were both like joking. We're like album title. And I think it probably we should have called the album Keep the Spark, which is the track from the and, – and that also represents like the truer um, meaning of – or the, the truer like point of the whole album. But we called it that. It's a mouthful. And it was a funny thing that I, I, love I it. said once. I'm into it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a great record. I Thank really you. Like yeah, yeah, Thank yeah. Thank you. I really wanted to talk more about your dad, um, if that's mm-hmm. okay, Josiah Venter. Your father died in 2011. I actually I read his obituary. Oh, and my like, God. I, like, teared up oh, again. That's going to make uh. me tear. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just take a- Whoa. <sighs> Has anyone He's- done a better job of preparing for interviews Probably than you, Cindy? No, this is it. Seriously. Yeah. Um, it just sounds like your dad was, like, a really extraordinary person. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, in hindsight, we all are. Like, you know, sure. usually. Everybody loves So he you. had his yeah. stuff. But, like, yeah, he was an extraordinary person. Yeah. So one of the things in the obituary, it said he had an intense drive to understand all sides of every issue, reading several newspapers daily to maintain a balanced perspective. So yes. that's when I was asking you about the yes. the female um the, the female fronted trio, you're like, yes. let me tell you both sides. Right. So wondering like what kind of impact oh did my that God. have on you? I'm so glad you brought that up. I mean, we literally as a family with my dad's brother and my mom wrote that obit like in an hour, like after he passed away. And I don't remember that part of it, but that's really true about him. And the and then to reflect back, like, oh, my gosh, that is so me, to the point where people don't like it. Like, if Eben's telling me about something, I'm like, well, just think about what they're thinking of. And he's like, that is not the kind of listener that I want right now. Yeah. You know, just tell um, me I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, well, you're not. You're not good. <laughs> so, yeah, that's so great to be reminded of that because it. I had this experience in Ecstatic Dance just last weekend when I was in Austin where I was seeing – people that had died like I, I was just like that's big al oh no it's not big al and like i feel laura rose here and she's not here and then all of a sudden i realized like every it's echoes like this dance has echoes of everybody that came before and everyone that came before like helped form this now and it's the same way like when people live and how my dad informed me like that there's echoes of him in the way I live and hopefully there'll be echoes of me and the way other people live and it's where like as much as I love Buddhism sometimes it feels like it's very finite like once it's done it's done and that's just the end and there's nothing and I'm like except in this other kind of (laughs) mystical way it's never done and it's just this big swirl that keeps going and going and so um thanks for reminding me yeah that songwriting Mm. you are such a playful songwriter 
Um, you Thank have you. A, a very like kind of funny style that is also extremely heartfelt and sincere. For you, what has been the path to balance those two sides of your personality? So like in, ther- in terms of songwriting. In terms and of beyond, songwriting? And beyond. Yeah, yeah. If someone were to ask me, someone were to ask me, I think I would assume that, well, just some songs are kind of funny and some songs are kind of quirky. But is that true? Like from listening to me, a little, is that true? Or does it overlap a little where there'll be a sweet line and then a funny line? That, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Totally. So that's your experience is that. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> yeah, I guess that they just don't seem that different. There's a, definitely a lot of grief like Evan will say this sometimes on stage that I'm always trying to get him to look at the world in a more optimistic positive way and then I come up from the basement with this song about like death and grief and pain and like that I I do put a lot of like dark energy into my songwriting but I just don't think it's any different from than saying something that's just super sweet or in awe of beauty or something that's like really playful and fun they just all feel like life forces that are not that just, I mean, that our emotions like, go from one to the next. Yeah, it feels They're just like not disconnected. Honesty. Yeah. But it seems so easy for you to to put that into song. Maybe Uh-oh. maybe it was like, maybe when we were talking earlier about that path from your mm-hmm. 20s into your 30s. Well, you know, I mean, but actually, uh, my songs now are better written and they're not just about me. But I, I think that I did always... Yeah, it, it was because there can be stream of consciousness and because I always could feel, I, I could notice that I was feeling multiple things at once. There just wouldn't have been, there would never be a moment where I would think, oh, I shouldn't be quirky in this song. That's literally like the next thing that came out of my mouth. And then, mm-hmm. oh, now, now it's poignant. That's just what happened next. So I guess that's what goes there. Uh, yeah, it didn't seem, didn't seem disconnected, I guess, because my feelings can so quickly right. go from those things. So intuitive. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, no, you're <laughs> well, 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 well. Um, are you ready for the lightning round? Okay. Yes. Okay, here we go. First song you learned on the guitar. Um, um, it's hard for me to retrieve words, but it's Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Helpless, helpless. Neil Young. Batman or Superman? Batman. What is your vocal register? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, I sang Soprano 1 in high school. I ten- Did you sing Soprano 1? Soprano 1 is in high school. Is that the highest or is it Soprano? That's the highest. It wasn't like I had an earth-shattering note, but I could sing all the notes that I was ever asked to sing Soprano 1. Could you get the but- Mariah Carey note? No, no, not that one. No, no, no. Too no. high. No, too, too, high. too high. I'm not, I'm not a prodigy, but I think I do have a range and I like the lower registers too. Karaoke song. Oh. Something, anything probably by Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. Oh. And I can't even do it justice, but I love Whitney Houston. It's really good. Uh, dogs or cats? Dogs. What is your coffee order? Right now? Mm-hmm. Right. So usually it's an Americano with very little water. But instead I say this. I say two shots of espresso with just a splash of hot water. A so they don't charge me for an Americano. B, so that they don't put in too much water, which they always do if you say Americano, not a lot of water. Great. Uh, favorite teacher? I'm saying Mrs. Wolf. Wow, that just popped in. She was my fifth grade teacher, and she really encouraged my writing. First album you bought with your own money? Janet Jackson, Rhythm Nation. Yeah, 
was. It was a tape. <laughs> of course. First, first concert. Oh, Steve Miller. Wow. Yes. Steve Miller was like back. He was touring that Best of Steve Miller. It just happened in the 90s. In the 90s. And it was in New Haven. It was at the like tennis stadium. Oh, man. It was incredible. That's so like him to go to New Haven in the 90s. <laughs> I think something happened to his album in the 90s that he didn't know why, but he just started touring it. Dream collaboration. That's hard. I'm having a hard time with that one. Evan Paris Humor Paris and Humor Humor yeah. Evan Paris are... Yeah, man, right now, I'm really, like, we have a lot to offer each other. It's, it's good. It's yeah. a good collab. Okay, so you have a son, yeah. Otis. Yeah. If you have a baby, do you find out what the gender is, or do you wait? I did not for Otis, but if I were to get pregnant again, I would find out. Nice. Uh, flying or invisibility? What does that mean? Would you rather fly oh, or be invisible? Fly. I had so many dreams about that as a kid. Fly. What? So in your dream, how would you fly? I would just, I would wake up being like, I figured it out. You run as fast as you can down a hill and you just like run as fast as you can. And then like at a certain point, you are able to just like flap your wings in a way that you can fly. Like I literally would convince myself even upon waking up that I had figured it out. Isn't it so heartbreaking when you realize the reality? It's terrible. It sucks. Um, okay, last one. What is the most beautiful place you have ever visited? Okay, it sounds cliche, but man, we went to Hawaii and for a honeymoon, and we went to Kauai and the Kalalau Valley. It's where they filmed Jurassic Park, um, the first one anyway, and we did this crazy hike, and it was just, um, yep, yeah, it was everything it's cracked up to be, and then wow. some. That's great. Yeah. All right, Molly Venture, good lightning round. Thank very you, good. Yes, very good. Thank you so much, and thank you for being on Basic Folk and for all your lovely answers. This was great. Thank you. I loved it. I want to say thanks to the Charles River Museum of Industry and Innovation. That is a really fun museum who has a great songwriter series that Goodnight Moonshine was playing at. Actually, Marcarelli books the, the concert series. All, uh, all the people that work there are always like so nice. Um, and that's where we did the interview. And they had a great little room where we could record. Also, Adam Corey produced this episode of Basic Folk. Uh, Laura McCarthy, also part of the team, the producing team. And Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Alex Stanton of Townspeople does the music for the podcast. Uh, and Alex actually just recently finished working on some great transition songs, which we're happy to debut on this episode of Basic Folk. And also Alex does our new theme song, which I love so much. I'm Cindy House. Thank you so much for listening. You can go to the website, cindyhouse.net, for show notes. Buy a beanie. Sign up for the email list. Check me out on social media. Uh, say hello. All that stuff. cindyhouse.net is where you can find it. Okay, bye. Bye.